You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order right now the game sports show and gem thanks little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux st Marie, ontario for its support booyah and it's time for the game sports show it is your host david mccake jr bringing you another special edition upload powered by the game entertainment media and sponsored by little caesar's pizza now getting to the co-host joining yours truly tonight a frequent co-host with me on these little caesar special edition uploads a part of the game sports show and game entertainment media family as a general sports analyst you hear his voice on these special edition uploads as well as the top shelf edition news shows in particular a hockey and video expert as well the one and only alex parr how's it going my friend Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, I'm ready for another one. We, we've been knocking these ones out with these big name guests over and over, and I'm excited to do another. In the words of DJ Khaled, another one. Uh, now, getting to our Little Caesar special edition guest, getting to the introduction to wind up and bring in the guest. He is a current professional hockey player playing the DEL for the Ice Tigers. He was a fifth round pick. 128th overall in the 2006 NHL draft, drafted by the Boston Bruins. He is an AHL Calder Cup champion with the Manchester Monarchs. He has played 42 NHL games between the Bruins, Blue Jackets, and Avalanche. He has totaled approximately just under 800 total professional games to date at this recording in the professional level between the NHL, AHL, and the DEL. Also, he is a former Halifax Mooseheads alumni where he spent three full seasons where he played 196 games, notching 123 points. To add to this list, he is a U-17 World Hockey Championship bronze medalist named 05-06 QMJHL All-Rookie Team, 08-09 SJHL Second All-Star Team, with 2013-2014 having the AHL's best plus-minus with a plus-43 the one and only hockey defenseman, Andrew Bodnerchuk. Andrew, thanks for coming on the show today, pal. Nice intro. Nice intro. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. I will make I will make one correction. Uh, the SJHL, there is a goalie uh, in Western Canada who shares the exact same name as me. So uh, somehow I have a goaltender award. Uh, oh, I think okay. in the Saskatchewan Junior League. I think it pops up on some of the uh, the hockey websites. But uh, just when I heard that, I had a little bit of a chuckle. But, so you know uh, what? Here's what I'll do. You know, usually I would edit out a little thing like that because I like to make it smooth. But you know what? Just so everybody knows if they read it that it's the true one. I'm keeping that in there. i got to be called out on something. there. Like, you know? It, yeah. Leave it's it for a ver- it's a versatile resume. It adds to my uh, adds to my resume for sure. <laughs> like Such that. a good defenseman that they just said, "Hey, you know what? We got this award too. You can have it." <laughs> team, team player. Yeah, I put I strapped on the pads. David Airy still. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, Leaf fans. You know, myself and Alex Parr are actually Leaf fans, so that hurts. But you know what? That's funny and awesome all at the same time. <laughs> now, I'll say, kind of going with the post-opener topic, before we dive into the topics that we plan to get into, let's start the way that I, I ended your introduction. Not about the goaltender award or anything of such, but the pl- the best plus minus. Okay. Now, yep. just in case listeners are not familiar with plus minus, it is a circumstance when someone is on the ice for a goal for or goal against. You're registered a plus if you're on the ice for a goal for and a minus if you're on the ice for a goal against. Now, besides me being a teacher up here at the beginning, uh, I want you to, to kind of get into that, Andrew. Now, were the fellas just like when you were on the ice, they scored? Uh, we know we're going to score. End of story or what? Plus <laughs> minus. Uh, plus minus. Uh, plus minus. That is. Uh... When you have a good plus minus, it's the most relevant stat in the game. And when you don't have a good plus minus, it's a completely irrelevant stat. So, um, uh, it, it is a funny stat because there's, there's five guys on the ice. Um, a lot of times you can get a minus, uh, without having much to do with the play. Uh, at the same time, you can get a plus without having much to do with the play, but, uh, the circumstances that year, we had a we had a really really good team in the AHL, and uh, we scored a lot five on five. We had a really talented group of forwards. Um, my defense partner was Vincent Laverde, and uh, we played a couple years together and and really worked well together and uh, defended well. And I think 
uh, both of us were one and two in the league. And uh, I think it was a year where, where everything was clicking and we got out of our zone really clean. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have some forwards that put the puck in the net. So um, it's one of those things where, where things were clicking uh, pretty good for me throughout the whole year and uh, having a surrounding cast that helped for sure. See, Alex, you and I have talked about this on the show before, about plus minus. And there's obviously sports individuals that don't want that in the game and some that do. So, like, I, be, to me, like, do you think plus minus should stay in the game, Andrew? Or do you think that's something they should take out? Like, I know that's one of your awards, so maybe you don't want that taken out. But is that is it – I know you mentioned it was – like, it's a part of the game where if you're on the ice five on five, you could have just stepped on the ice. There's so many, re, like, ways you could register a plus as well as a minus. You know, I'd like to say my playing days with some of my, my minuses were because it's just a step on the ice. But really, that's not the truth. Anyone who plays me knows that's not the truth at all. I probably caused the goal. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you uh, do you think it's an important factor in the game? Like, honestly, I know you mentioned relevant and irrelevant, but do you think it'll be ever be taken out? Uh, I don't know if it'll ever be taken out. It's getting phased out of some stat packs, I noticed. So when you see... Uh... Uh, player stats on the year there's sometimes where it's not included where it it always used to be a staple um i think it's it's a good stat to get fans riled up sometimes um but uh uh it's a really subjective stat and i think uh it can be alarming one way or the other if if a player's heavily minus on a team or say someone is much more minus on a team than the team average or much more plus on a team than the plus average. I think it's, it's a good indicator of, of a player's uh, contribution, but at the end of the day, there's so many things that go into every goal that um, I don't think anyone's career has been made or broke based on the, the plus minus stat. No. And uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a perfect evaluator of a player's, um overall overall play yeah it's not really a fair indicator of sorts and i think alex you would uh agree to that but going over to you alex for our first topic yeah Andrew, you find yourself over in germany now talk about that transition now uh, what went into uh deciding to keep your playing days going and move over to uh europe to continue to play yeah i it's been uh it's been an awesome journey as far as a career goes uh i uh I've been in North America for a long time, uh, kind of chasing that uh, that goal of having a full-time NHL job and uh, um, had a really successful American Hockey League career and uh, plenty of time up in the AHL, or sorry, in the NHL. Um, um, a lot of it was spent as a seventh defenseman, healthy scratching, but uh, uh, it, was, it was definitely enjoyable. And uh, there was always uh, there was always uh, an idea in the back of my head that at some point uh, coming over to Europe might be a good idea or or a great experience uh, something to uh, something to entertain and uh, after my last year in Texas in the AHL um, I, I was a bit of a veteran I knew I'd be able to keep doing what I was doing at the American League level but. Uh, the opportunity to get those NHL call-ups were uh, were starting to fade. Um, it's just a matter of fact. Once you get to a certain age in North America, you have to outplay younger guys by such a margin to get that opportunity. So, seeing that happen, I was I was happy with everything I'd done in North America. So I started uh, putting some feelers out uh, in Europe to see what was available, and uh, I got hooked up with uh, the Red Bull team in Munich on a uh, two-year deal and I and I was really really happy I came over um I love the country of Germany I love the league and uh um I see myself uh finishing my career here uh, at some point we'll see uh see what I have left as far as legs go but uh I'm definitely happy here see now you just mentioned there that you kind of like you're gonna see a legs and everything and you like you're on a one-year deal i think they're now like do you know what next year is going to bring or do you kind of take it year by year uh, with the team that you go with right is it is it, is it always kind of a year by year thing that you're going to do going forward or do you plan on saying maybe your next contract if everything goes good for next year that hey you know what maybe i want to do two more or three more years and then 
maybe think of something else after that. Yeah, um, that's 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 another part about coming over to Europe that you don't realize uh, before uh, before you come. It's hard to get information on on salaries. It's hard to get information on uh, terms or length of players' contracts. So even when you're over here, a lot of times uh, the deals between teams and players are. are kind of kept hush hush so I do have a I have a plan beyond this year um but uh there is there is a bit of uh I guess um secretness as far as plans and contracts because there aren't a lot of agreements so players can actually sign with other teams while they're with a team for uh for years after that's that's not the case for myself but uh um yeah I I like Germany. This this season's uh, really interesting with uh, with the COVID rules and no fans. So it's 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 um, it's been interesting day to day. But uh, I, I see my future here in Germany for a little while yet, uh, for sure. Awesome. Sorry, Alex, I cut you off there. No, it's okay. You basically hit the nail right on the head. But now I gotta know, like, if if a guy is gonna sign a deal with another team while currently playing for the team, does that put a rift in the locker room? Like, do, do people look <laughs> at the guy differently now? <laughs> no, you know what? I would I would have thought it would have as well. But uh, um, since the rules are the for same for everyone, it, it gives the players a, a good amount of leverage um, that you don't have uh, in North America. So. Um, Everyone respects it. Uh, there's not really a lot of backstabbing going on. Basically, if you have a, a team that's willing to give you a commitment uh, for future years and your play is up to a good standard and you have that opportunity, but your current team doesn't want to match or extend that offer, um, every, everyone respects that as far as players go. Um I haven't heard of any bad blood uh, in a situation like that. Uh, as far as the the brotherhood of hockey goes, um, for the most part, with uh, with some outliers, everyone likes to see guys succeed. So so no one's holding anyone back from opportunities or or souring on anyone for for finding those opportunities. See, that's cool. That's so much different than you would see like anywhere in kind of North America. You know, like that that's not really heard of but in europe it's like so many different options you can do and with having some friends that play overseas you know that's always a great experience playing overseas obviously yourself in germany i have friends that are in switzerland some they're in italy russian the story that i hear about russian stories are by far the best to be honest especially with the show but you know playing over in europe it's just so like i want to say the word beautiful i don't know if that's the word i want to use but like the country of every like a lot of countries and like a lot of areas of europe are beautiful and just playing hockey in germany is such a competitive league as one of our other co-hosts brendan brooks would touch on to who's played well over a thousand professional games and played a lot overseas the game overseas is different than north america but it almost seems like north america is absorbing that european style of game where it's all that speed that finesse and a little bit less rough and tough where before in the early thousands late 90s you know you couldn't go through the middle of the ice without getting rocked by a scott stevens right or even in the thousands you know like there's there's a lot of difference playing overseas and were you able to make that adjustment as a defenseman quite quickly uh, or did you even really notice a difference from transitioning from North America to Europe? Uh, yeah, it was, there was a big difference. Um, just first off the, the size of the ice surface, that's, that's the biggest difference. And, uh, um, coming from a North American ice surface as a, uh, as a smaller defenseman, but who plays, uh, um, a, a tough defensive game, or I, I like to think I play a tough defensive game. Um, but uh, closing on guys and taking away guys' time and space was a lot, a lot harder in the uh, in the defensive zone. So as a skilled forward, you have a lot more room to get away from defenders. There's more time and space, um, less body contact, uh, easier wear and tear on the body. But uh, um, I feel like one of those old guys, like when I was 20 and I played with guys who were in their 30s and you'd always be like, oh, yeah, the old times, like quit talking about the old times. 
But uh, even even in the first like four or five years of my career, when I was in the American League and some call ups, the game's completely different. Even then, uh, just as far as uh, I guess the the toughness of having two or three heavyweights on every team, having those third and fourth lines who who hardly knew there was a puck on the ice. Um, you, it's it's even changed in my career. So um, I was talking to Eric Cornell, who's here for his first year in Europe, and we were talking about the American League, and uh, he was even saying that that the games changed a bit, even in the last couple of years, as far as that finesse, that skill, the 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 creativity, um, just just more open playing style. So. Uh, I think that's something that's changing just within the sport and, and culture in general. Yeah, that's a good point. See, like it, that's one thing that was brought up a lot was the size of the ice, and it's just a, that that speed. It, it's a dream for someone who can speed down the sides, and it could be maybe a bit more of a nightmare for a defenseman. But uh, all in all, though, what I want to rewind to here a little bit is the QMJHL days. You spent your career in Halifax. A team that we've talked about on the show, actually, in particular with having Zach Fucali on the show, and ultimately leads to you being drafted. So I wanted to briefly get into your experience in Halifax, which I believe you were picked up in the expansion draft and immediately traded to Halifax, if I remember that or saw that correctly. You did go yeah. on podcasts, and I think that you stated some of this as well, and I know you have must have went on different shows and explained your uh, experiences you had overall with Halifax. But is there any good memories that you can share with Halifax, or even especially playing with Yakov Forchak for a few seasons, who's obviously made quite a career in the National Hockey League with Philly? Yeah, definitely. I I had a riot there. Um, looking back, I think there was a little bit of shady business going on uh, to to actually land me in Halifax. Um, I was 15 years old at the time, so I was kind of oblivious to it. But uh, I was actually in prep school, um, and I was still toying with the idea of whether I wanted to play major junior hockey or go to college. Um, so. I was drafted to Moncton, uh, and prior to getting drafted, I let them know that I hadn't made my mind up as far as uh, if I wanted to give away my uh, NCAA eligibility yet. So I went to prep school for my 16-year-old year, Mm. and uh, my hometown is actually Halifax. Oh, So uh, there was an expansion draft, and I, I was still toying with the idea of going to Moncton because they were hosting the Memorial Cup that year. So uh, I'd let them know that I might have interest in coming back and playing in the queue. So the ball started rolling a little bit, and I ended up uh, getting picked up in the expansion draft and traded to Halifax. But I think think there was a little bit of a plan for that before it ever happened. so after that happened, I uh, it changed my mind even more. The the fact that I was able to stay at home, play in my hometown, and um, the Mooseheads have one of the best uh, buildings in junior hockey, and and it's such a great city uh, for junior hockey. So um, I enjoyed all my time there. I was I was able to play with a lot of good players. Um, my last year, Brad Marshawn, who's Probably my best friend got traded to the team as well. So we got to finish our junior career together. Um, playing with Jake Voracek was unbelievable. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Um, <laughs> it's it's really funny to see in the last couple of years, uh, I guess, players letting their personality out a little bit, a little bit more on social media. Um, but... Uh, I'm not on uh, on Twitter as much as I used to be, but I, I see some of these uh, Jacob Voracek clips and tweets, and I, and I have a good chuckle because that's the guy I, I know and remember playing with. He was an absolute riot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got, I got lots of stories about that guy from junior days. Well, I want to know, what, what does the media <laughs> get wrong about Brad Marchand? I mean, he's your best friend. You must have something nice to say about the guy. Brad? Yeah. I have, I have, I have no bad things to say about Brad's, none at all. That's what I mean. Uh, what does the media get wrong about him? What? Yeah. What? What do they get wrong? Like, because because people hate playing against him. Oh, that's yeah. the 
that, that people hate playing against him, but you love being his teammate, period. Because I'll be honest, like if you're playing against a guy like that, you want to fight him. You do. You want it's annoying. But when you have a guy like that on your team, holy crap, that's the type of guy that wins you games. Those those are the type of the playoff performers that you see that really get under the skin of stars, right? And you being his best friend. You must be able to, like, like as Parter said, you must be able to provide a bit more positive about Brad Marchand in the world of, in the world of media, opposed to what we see on, uh, let's say, uh, from a fan perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think he's he's done himself some favors uh, recently. I think people are appreciating how much he's matured as a uh, as a player and a person uh, in the last years. Um, Obviously, when he was breaking into the league, he was uh, he was using that rad ability of of himself to to establish himself. Um, but uh, I, I think everyone can appreciate how uber competitive he is, and uh, everything he does has some some purpose to it. And uh, I think he's he said it in interviews and talked about it before, but. He plays his best game when he's on that edge. And uh, I know personally it's the same for me. The more I'm talking or chirping or or involved in the game verbally, uh, the more your head gets involved in the game. And I think his his is like a next level of that. But uh, he's so confident in who he is as a person and a player um, that uh, I, he doesn't he doesn't apologize for his views or or how he feels about something, and uh, I applaud him for that. Um, he's definitely made some bonehead, uh, <laughs> bonehead plays and, and dumb, dumb mistakes that that he's he's apologized for. But um, a lot of times, people uh, misinterpret a hockey play for the type of person you are, and. Uh, you guys talked about it, but when you play against someone who's who's annoying to play against or rats, you always ask if you, if you have someone on the same team as them who's a buddy or a past teammate of yours, you you immediately ask like, hey, what what's that Marshawn like off the ice? Like that guy's such a rat. What's he actually like? And more times than not, the guys are like, that guy's unbelievable. Like such a good guy. So it's tough for a fan. Who gets really emotionally invested to uh, to uh, to understand that it's hockey and and what happens on the ice isn't a translation of who a person is off the ice. Um, but I, I have nothing but good things to say about him as a person and uh, player and friend. So if you had like one memory to bring up about both Voracek and Marchant, like a funny story or a memory that sticks out most, and obviously you probably you have a lot with Marchant. There's probably a few you can't get into. I'm sure as yeah. everyone said being friends, but if you had one of each to kind of bring up, even if you brought him up as a teammate uh, from when you were obviously with Boston or when uh, we were obviously involved in Halifax, either or, if you had one story to bring up about both of them, what would it be? Uh, let's go Jake first. He was awesome. Uh, this guy absolutely loved McDonald's. Um, <laughs> loved McDonald's and loved Quiznos. I don't know if Quiznos subs, how their franchises are doing in Canada now, but at the time when we were playing junior, this guy ate more Quiznos subs than I've ever seen. But uh, after every practice, it was McDonald's. I would drive him sometimes. And it was straight to McDonald's. But uh, the one thing I laugh about that looking back like we were kids it was probably pretty irresponsible of us was he would beg to no ends to drive and he didn't have a license so uh there was times where we'd uh, we'd get off like a main highway and he's like no you check republic he's got his broken english he's like no no i drive like i know how to drive i've, I've driven I've driven i'm like well you don't have a license man he's like no 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 chucky 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 i drive i drive it's no problem so I'd get off a main road and into like quieter areas and I'd let him drive. And as soon as he was behind the wheel, I was like, Oh my God, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Like <laughs> I'm not qualified to teach this guy how to drive, but it was, it was every couple of weeks I'd let him get behind the wheel. And it was, it was, a, it was a hoot. Did he hit anything? <laughs> no, no, no. I would, I, I put him pretty much on an airport runway so that uh, <laughs> nothing bad would happen, but uh, it was still good. He was, he was such a, 
such a good person, good teammate, and had a lot of good memories with him. That's hilarious. Now, what about anything with Brad? I love the McDonald's stuff. It's actually not the first time we've heard about people liking McDonald's with their teammates. I listen. It's everyone's. It's everyone's pastime when you've had a couple of drinks or even after practice. Everyone likes to have the odd Big Mac after practice. But Brad Marchand doesn't really strike me like the type. <laughs> no, I. Uh, you know what? This guy's a McFlurries though. <laughs> McFlurries and uh, Dairy Queen uh, blizzards are uh, his guilty pleasure for sure. Um, he's uh, he's quite a specimen as far as uh, health and fitness go. Um, we trained together for um, better part of our career and junior. We've we've shared the same trainer and same summer program, and we're usually workout partners. Uh, the last couple summers, just due to Corona and uh, and uh, me being in Europe, we haven't had as much time together in the summer. But uh, he pushes uh, his body to the limits in the off season, and it, it's paid him uh, dividends um, for sure every hockey season. But uh, no, he's not the type of guy that's stopping at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves McDonald's. Alex. Yeah, and you, speaking about uh, playing in Halifax too. How cool was it to be the captain of your hometown team? Was that as satisfying as uh, as one can imagine? Yeah, it was. It, it you know what? It's cooler. It's cooler to reflect on now than uh, than it was at the time. Um, even at 19 years old, uh, I had a lot of fun, but I, I kind of accepted it as a a big responsibility. I guess it wasn't a uh, uh, like a trophy or, or, or some kind of, uh, is something I was flaunting around town. If that makes any sense. Uh, I, I took a lot of responsibility with that. And, uh, being from my hometown, I, I, I think, uh, I tried to carry myself as, as well as I could, even at a young age. Um, looking back, I probably could have had a lot more fun in my junior time in Halifax and took advantage of, uh, of the city a little bit more, but, uh, um, I had nothing but great memories and, and I played with uh, a lot of great teammates. And, um, when we did have a few days off, we, we did have some fun when we were older, but, uh, it, being a captain, uh, uh, of a junior team is, is something awesome to look back on, like I said, but, but at the time it's not, uh, it's not spotlights and glory. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know what? It's still a positive experience, at least to kind of be a part of your hometown and do that. You know, that's where, you know, being a being a leader, you know, it, it looks awesome. It also comes with responsibility. You know, at the same time, you know, you're uh, you're involved probably in more media interaction. You're expected to be that kind of side of the room. I'm not sure. Uh, how it would kind of like obviously in the NHL in comparison to the junior level, you know, I can imagine the difference that would be for players, but you know, you're, you're at an age where you were a veteran at the time when you were the captain, you have younger guys coming in and you're, you're kind of that person who uh, is, is kind of got to get the boys more calm if they're going above a little bit, if they're a little bit off their game, you're that one that's supposed to stand up in the room. And was that, was that obviously expected a lot of uh, from you, especially as being a captain of that team? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it's more, uh, establishing who the guys on the team are that do that before they get the captaincy or the assistant captaincy. Um, I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of guys that get a, a C put on their sweater and all of a sudden completely change, uh, who they are and, and what they bring to the team on and off the ice. I think it's more, uh, guys getting, I don't want to say rewarded, but uh, guys getting picked out on the team for doing that before they actually wear the letter. So um, I've always uh, I've always considered myself a vocal guy when things needed to be said. Um, but more than anything, I, I kind of let my work ethic uh, speak for itself, um, whether it's in the gym or in practice or in a game. And uh, if if I can inspire, challenge guys to uh, bring their game to the next level, and if a coaching staff thinks that's deserving of a letter, then then it is what it is. But uh, it, it's definitely a responsibility and something to be proud about uh, when you do get uh, 
when you do get picked out for something like that. For sure. Now, you uh, jumping from junior, you go. We're gonna go quick to the NHL draft. And now everyone has a draft memory or a memory meeting with a particular team, coach, GM. Uh, what is your kind of draft story that you would have? Uh, I know we've heard a lot of different ones on the show where a bunch of them get stuck in a room and they're told to talk bad about other players in a room. Uh, or if you have one where a coach pulled you in, uh, this is one noted from one of our previous editions with Terry Ryan, how he was pulled in and they had no intention to draft him. They just wanted to have a conversation with him. Uh, but, yeah. you know, obviously you go to Boston uh, and uh, you 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 get drafted. You must have had some contact with teams throughout the year. And of course, uh, kind of leading up to the draft, do you have a draft story that kind of sticks out or can you even talk about where you were when you did get drafted or how that all went down? Yeah, definitely. I was, uh, so I was at, uh, I f- was at prep school when I started to, uh, um, get the idea that I might get drafted or, or there was that possibility to, to make a career out of hockey. Um, I had just played for team Canada at the under 18, uh, world championships. So once you get on that stage, you kind of, uh, realize there's some potential. Um, but after my first year junior, I started having, uh, meetings with teams and scouts, uh, where you'd be in the hotel and your GM of Halifax would say, uh, Hey, so-and-so wants to meet with you in the lobbies from, say, the LA Kings. Uh, he just wants to have a quick interview. So that was really cool. Um, I didn't have any humorous stories or any really grilling questions uh, from anyone. Um, but as far as draft day goes, um, I knew I wasn't going to be a first-round pick, but I had a pretty good idea that I was going to be picked. And... Um, I was at home and uh, like I said, Brad's one of my best buddies and he just lived down the street from me. So he was at his house as well. And uh, at that time, I don't even think there was a live stream of the draft after the first round. So I was sitting at my computer uh, basically clicking refresh every two minutes uh, (laughs) to see pick by pick what was coming up. So, I was doing the old refresh, refresh, talking to my agent, and he's he's pretty confident I'm going to get picked, which is cool, but you're still nervous about where you're going to go and which team. And early in the third round, Brad got picked. So I clicked refresh, and you see Boston Bruins, Brad Marchand. So I call him. He's all pumped. Uh, he's got family coming over. They're going to have a big celebration. So... I'm still at my computer with my my parents and my brother and sister, and everyone's roaming around the house doing their thing, but everyone's kind of on their toes uh, in anticipation too. But we're not all sitting around the computer, five people. It's just me, refresh, refresh. (laughs) And uh, we get to the fifth round, and I get a phone call before I get picked, and it was uh, uh, the Boston Bruins, and they said they were going to select me with the next pick. And then uh, showed up on the internet, and the first person that called was Brad, because he was still uh, having a celebration and party, but he was checking his computer at the same time to see uh, where I'd potentially go. So uh, we ended up both getting picked up by Boston, and uh, it wasn't five minutes that I had my shoes on, and uh, my family was out the door, and we headed over to uh, Brad's house, and we had a little bit of a... uh, uh, a little bit of a party to celebrate that and a bunch of our buddies came so it was a it was a really special special uh, night and it was it was not uh there was no draft floor or or being at the draft but it was pretty intimate and a, a really really cool memory for me yeah you see and uh, you get drafted by boston was there a team that you did you we didn't even really ask this but is there a team that you grew up cheering for as a kid that maybe would have made the draft a little bit extra special or was it even did that being drafted with the same team with Brad, does that top that? But is is there a team that you were kind of like, you know, growing up saying that maybe one day I will put on that jersey? Yeah, I was I was a diehard Montreal fan my whole life. <laughs> um, my uh, my dad was a diehard Montreal fan. It seemed like everyone in my family was. So uh, every uh, 
it seemed like every couple of winters, my family, well, me, my dad, and my brother would go to Montreal. We'd take the train or we'd drive and we'd go see a game and then we'd wait after the game by the players' parking lot and get autographs and I'd get to see all the the guys on the team. So that was that was really cool. And uh, the head scout of Montreal actually came to my uh, my parents' house. Um, a month or a couple months before the draft, he was just doing a tour around uh, the East Coast, meeting with players. So uh, I thought that was super cool, um, and uh, to have maybe the opportunity to go there was was pretty exciting. But uh, after me and Brad uh, got picked up by Boston, I became a I put, I put Montreal in the backseat really really quickly, and uh, <laughs> my grandmother wasn't too happy about it at first, but. Uh, but it, it turned out well. Did yeah. the uh, did your pops get a little upset seeing you in uh, black and gold, or was he uh, was he able to put it in the backseat as well? No, I think he put it in the backseat really quickly, <laughs> yeah. really really quickly. But uh, I, I think everyone's back to being a Montreal fan uh, in the family. Yeah. So uh, tough time still to be a half fan. I shouldn't say that as a Leaf fan, but. <laughs> Besides, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you guys, you have uh, you have plenty of knowledge to give to them on how to get through it, right? Oh, do <laughs> we? So oh, do we? Oh, oh, that's so true. And now, when it comes now to when you're drafted by Boston, you get to make this transition now to the rookie camps and to the the NHL experience with one of your best friends. Do you think that having Brad by your side for doing some of these things in your transition was uh, beneficial? And what were some of the things you guys had to do together? during that transition yeah it was i think it was super super helpful especially in our first year pro um uh obviously i don't know what the experience would have been like if i didn't know anyone but uh uh going from team to team throughout my professional career it's it's pretty easy to make a bond with hockey guys um there's a few outliers that uh that might have some trouble uh, really gelling with a team, but in all my experience, guys, guys are pretty welcoming. So I, I'm sure it wouldn't have been that difficult. But as far as off the ice, uh, we lived together our first couple years pro. Um, just having having him as a roommate and being able to settle in together, uh, I'm sure helped. But uh, um, yeah, it seems like a long time ago those rookie camps and. Uh, first training camps but uh yeah that was quite a wake up quite an experience your first couple first couple camps See, it, it is right and like i know you played with a couple guys in that in like your first couple years in the hl you had uh, obviously another previous guest in our show martin st pierre who was having a good career out in europe as well uh, you have obviously we've mentioned marshan numerous times uh, there there was obviously i think tuka rask had that t- some time with you uh, down there in the american league as well adam mcquade um, now like you have you have like boston when you think about all these guys like they they did a very good job at drafting and developing players and then some of those players are obviously still with uh, the Bruins that of course Marchand and Rask as we went to but was being a like a part of that transition of going up to pro and into eventually your first game which we'll get into did, was Boston's like the main organization were they really keen on developing from within do you agree with that or do you feel uh, that they were kind of just, you know, that they, maybe they they went through the draft route, obviously, but they're always that type of team to trans like do transactions to get the right players to fit with their players that they've drafted. Because it seems like from our end, they've like with being the team that won the Stanley Cups, that they were a team that uh, were was a um, was a team that developed from within. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, um, hats off to that organization. I. I... I loved my time there. Um, I would have stayed longer if I didn't think I had a better opportunity elsewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, up until a couple of years ago, if you looked at the Boston roster, as far as guys that uh, spent their time in Providence and developed and learned the system and how to work and and having uh, role models like guys like Brad and Patrice Bergeron and and character guys like that who – who are the top players on the team, but are also the top work ethic guys. Um, Zidane Ochara was a guy like that as well. But uh, um, 
it was a, it was a special environment and they they definitely allowed uh their young guys to take their time and and hone their skills in providence and uh um bruce Cassidy was a coach who was in providence and worked his way up to boston i don't know if he used the term worked his way up as a coach but uh he was familiar with a lot of those guys who came up through the system and and uh knew their potential and and he's made a great transition uh um, from the time Claude, Claude Julian left, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of the guys I was with in uh, in Providence have had a lot of success uh, with Boston. See, and you play that first game when you get call up with Boston. Do you did you get the solo lap when you got your first game, or how was that first that first time? Like you must have had like of course somebody you know obviously have some familiarity with everyone that was there. But was there yep. one guy even that uh, pulled you aside and said, okay, here, do this? Or you know, this is it. Or did you even get that solo lap? How was that first game? What was going through your mind? The, the solo lap wasn't – no, it wasn't a thing when I played my first game. But uh, um, my first game, I was just trying not to shit my pants um, <laughs> in, in warm-ups. I was uh, – it was my second year pro, and it was in Toronto Saturday night live – or Saturday night. So it was hockey night in Canada. And uh, my parents made the trip to the game and uh, I flew in the day before. So uh, it was great because Brad was there and uh, McQuaid was there. And McQuaid was my D partner for the majority of the year in, uh, in Providence. Uh, Johnny Boychuk was there, who I had played with uh, uh, in spurts the year before. So it was, it, it's great as far as that relationship between the American League and the NHL to have guys who are going up the year before you so that when you do get there, you're familiar with a lot of the guys. Um, it's at that point, you've had four training camps with, with the guys in the team. So you're not starstruck. Um, you're a little bit more comfortable than you, than you would be if it was just the first time you met everyone. But, yeah. uh, being in Toronto and having that first game, uh, was, was crazy special and i'll never forget the feeling on the bench during the anthem um kind of having flashbacks of of time coming up with my dad and early morning skates and early practices and and everything that went into it so it was really cool um but there was no uh no solo lap i uh i did the interview for cbc uh after the first period and i got the uh hockey night in canada towel so that was my uh first game experience and uh i just hope that that towel is somewhere in a storage unit i was probably watching that game (laughs) i was probably watching that game i probably might have been interview like who's this guy in his first game 100 percent yeah look at this nerd (laughs) (laughs) alex yeah uh andrew you play for quite a quite a number of colorful coaches when it comes to uh the nhl how does uh, Claude stack up against Torts or maybe even Patrick to uh, oh, some advice he gave you heading into that torts. one? Torts. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I guess having a review of that, I've had uh, I've had a pretty good uh, pretty good trail mix of coaches. <laughs> no trail <laughs> mix, good example. But uh, I uh, I got I got along with everyone. I I never. Uh, I never established myself as a full-time NHL and, and part of that's on, on myself. Um, looking back now that I'm in Europe, it was never, uh, I never put myself in a situation where I totally felt comfortable at the NHL level. And it was more, uh, more in my head than anything. I think, uh, once I got up there, uh, kind of realizing your dreams and not wanting them to slip away or go past, I uh, never was really able to calm down and, and play um, the poised game that I did at other levels. So, um, but in saying that with the coaches, I had, yeah, great experiences. I, I really enjoyed playing for Torts. Um, he's kind of a, a no bullshit coach and uh, he allows you to make, uh, make a mistake once, but uh, he's, he's not going to allow you to make that same mistake twice. Um, and multiple times after that and uh, um, I was with Columbus at the time when he was butting heads with Ryan Johansson and uh, it was just interesting 
to see that dynamic uh, at an NHL level. But uh, he's just a guy that expects work, um, and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, he's going to expect 100% effort. And uh, for a guy that, uh, like myself, who who doesn't have an all-star skill set but brings work ethic and, and, and pride in competing, um, I, I really respected him and appreciated uh, what he brought as far as coaching goes. Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think we'll have another thing where he had a run-in with him as well, as obviously he got uh, dealt to Winnipeg and Line A goes back the other way. So Torts, of course, before even joined back with going into Columbus, there was a guy that hated being on the TSM panel, it seemed like at times too, where he was calling out the quiz questions all the time. Uh, he's just that personality, you know, and that, like you said it perfectly, he's a just takes no shit coach. And is that a good trade as a coach or a bad trade? People will have differences of opinions, but Tortorella, you know, that's, that's the type of coach that can coach a specific team. I think Columbus is probably a good fit of a team forum as you would probably be able to agree more than anybody. Cause of you being there. So like it just being with him, you like, was, was he the type of guy to come in and kick a trash can over and yell between periods? Or was he that leave the players alone in between intermission type coaches? No, no, he, he was, he was quite a vocal guy. Uh, if he saw it fit, but, um, um, in my experience, he wasn't uh, he wasn't pulling fairy dust out of the air and and analyzing or getting mad about something that wasn't uh, that wasn't needing to be addressed. Maybe he uh, he brought more emotion than than some coaches, but uh, um, I, had, I had I had a lot of respect for him, and he was he was pretty upfront with me, and uh, um, he I, that was actually a time where. Um, when I was with Columbus, uh, I was starting to feel comfortable. He, he talked with me and, um, encouraged me to start making some more plays. And, um, I was, I was only there for a short amount of time, but I've talked with other people about torts and, um, I don't know if he'd even remember me, but, uh, but I appreciated him as a coach and I understand, um, from, a from a first line players standpoint as well, as far as what they bring to a team. And, and um, I've never been in that situation, so I can't touch on what, uh, what that relationship would be like, but uh, um, yeah, I, I have nothing bad to say about the guy. It's good. And you know what? There's a couple more topics we'll get into. And speaking of you as a player, you won an AHL championship, and obviously a season member for you. You win the championship, and there's a few things we can get into here. Obviously, you did it winning, obviously, as uh, one of the leaders on the team, if I saw correctly, but also was Sault Ste. Marie native, which is our, our home base of our show. Of course, our show goes beyond different limits outside of Sault Ste. Marie, but someone that I know personally as well, Colin Miller, and someone everyone knows, especially in the hockey world, Paul Bizonette. So yeah. I want – so – what I wanted to get, in, get into uh, with the championship and memories with these teammates uh, or even others that stand out, but firstly, winning the championship. Do you remember who gave you that trophy or the order of how it was given to you and all that fun stuff that the social, uh, that the fans want to know about? Because we had a story from Scott Darling that he doesn't even remember who gave him the cup or who he gave the cup to. Okay, Alex can attest to that one. And it's a story that kind of went off with our show where people cannot can still not find out that tape. It's like lost about how where you got the cup. Now, I know AHL or OHL or NHL Stanley Cup, no matter what, uh, you being one of the more veterans on the team, I'm sure you were one of the first to receive it, get it, and move it on. But do you remember who gave it to you and who you gave it to after that? Yeah, I actually do. Um, Vincent Laverde was the captain. Uh, he was my D partner, so he got it. Uh, he did a quick loop, and then I was actually the second guy to get it um, that year. And I believe I handed it to Josh Gratton, um, who was a uh, who had a long, long career and was quite a veteran guy on the team. So I think. Uh, I think Gratz might have been second, and I'm not sure what the order would have been after that. Um, but we had a uh, we had a great group of guys, and and a lot of guys deserving to be early to receive that cup. But uh, yeah, just just winning in general creates a uh, a relationship and a bond with a guy that that lasts a lot longer than um, than a normal year that doesn't end in a win. 
No, and then, you know what? Now I, like I'll leave Alex the floor for for Biznet, but I want to get into Call and Miller for for a minute. So get a little uh, love for our Sioux listeners in particular. There's somebody yeah. that uh, played high school hockey actually in the Sioux. I don't know much you know his background. Obviously, no one. I'm sure he might share stuff with you, but played high school hockey at White Pines uh, here in Sault Ste. Marie. Went from being high school hockey was a walk on to the Greyhounds. Then for the Greyhounds, he was actually captain. Then he gets drafted, uh, of course. After that, to um, he gets drafted to the Los Angeles Kings, which in 2012, and he transitions over to Boston. He's played on other teams as well. Uh, so there's a guy who has, you know, grown and put it, worked his ass off and always known as an athlete. There's somebody that when I worked out with him, I tried to keep up with him. And I actually threw up with beside him on a one summer training session that we used to have. So what kind of like memories would you have with Colin Miller? Because he did have a quite an impressive year that year. Yeah, he had a huge year. Uh, it was uh, a real breakout year for him. I think uh, if my memory serves me correct, that was his second year. And um, I think his first year was his second um, yeah. yeah, I don't want to say – I don't want to say he struggled, but he definitely had a kind of first year where he was trying to get his feet under him. I'm not sure – uh, he might have been in and out of the lineup a bit, but uh, you could just tell that he had all the tools. He was he was an unbelievable skater. Uh, he could shoot the pot, like absolute, absolute cannon. He had good hands. So he had, all the, he had all the tools, and I think it was just a matter of him uh, uh, finding a comfort level at the pro game. Um, I think from what you've said, you know him pretty well, so I think he has a bit of that rad edge to himself too. Yep. Um, I've seen a little bit. I think he can play chippy. And uh, I think in his first first year pro, uh, I think he was maybe a little bit timid. And I'm sure he'd, he'd say that too. And in his second year, he definitely flourished. Um, he was a more confident guy off the ice in the locker room and um, more confident guy on the ice. And, and from that second year on, his, uh, his career has definitely been on a great trajectory. Um, but really good kid. And we, we had... Uh, I don't want to say kid. He's not that much younger than me, but really, really good guy. And uh, we had a lot of fun with that Manchester team. We had a really good group of guys and um, we worked our bags off every practice and we competed really hard every game, but we had a ton of fun off the ice too. So it was a, it was a really special group for sure. It was Alex, of course, uh, the next person we want to get into that he played with. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess Bissonette's made a bit of a name for himself, but <laughs> I mean, everybody knows Biz Nasty now and the personality he has. Is is what he portrays on the media side of things exactly who he was in the locker room? Yeah, well, as far as as far as a uh, outspoken, quick-witted guy, definitely. Um, I love Biz. I've I've kept in touch a little bit, not over the last couple of years, but uh, just the way hockey goes, you'll shoot a guy a message here and there and catch up quickly and. Um, he was a good guy. He came to our team. Uh, um, he wasn't there at the start of the season, so we knew he was coming. And he obviously had the big, uh, uh, the the big Twitter name, and and everyone knew who he was, even though we didn't know him personally. So there was a little bit of a feeling out process for what this guy was going to be like in the locker room. But he was an awesome guy, like so funny. But uh, he he was a, he was a great guy to have as far as taking a chirp too because there was times where he's a bit of a whipping boy in the locker room but he could dish it out too and uh really liked his personality and he he did he did a lot for our team that year and uh um he's another guy who i've I've nothing bad to say about um he he's he's a little bit theatrical at times but but that's his personality and i i appreciate it and I, i i really like the guy so you know what? The one story that I think I've said on the show, and I, you know, one day when I see him, I'm going to remind him about it. I was at a Blue Jay game at the Rogers Center, and I was sitting with my friend, and I noticed him coming down the stairs. This was before, uh, this is well before the his current days. Now with spinning chiclets, uh, was spinning chiclets. Sorry, and he's still playing with Phoenix. And he, it was in the summer, of course. He came down the stairs, and he's with uh, two ladies uh, at the time, friends. I quote, I'll make sure I throw that out there. Uh, he's with friends, yeah. and he's with a group of people. Uh, and I just noticed him with when he came down the stairs two friends and he goes and sits with his other group of friends that he was with i i looked across and i said i yelled biz and he actually looked over and 
I, I waved at him because I didn't know what else to do because I he doesn't know who the who the fuck I am. Okay, and, <laughs> so yeah, he, he's like, why is this kid probably calling me? So he looked and he's like, he put his finger to his mouth. He said, he said, shoot. Then he said, he got out of his chair and it's like he knew I was gonna ask him for a picture or autograph. He didn't even, he didn't even, I didn't even ask him. I didn't give him no sign language for an autograph or a picture, nothing. He just looked at me. Said the shoes thing got up, moved over to the stair, and then he told me to come with him. And I went up the stairs, my friend upstairs to take a picture with uh, with Biz and Ed. And he said I had to make sure I pulled you away because I'm not taking pictures with anybody else today. You 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 saw who I was. Good on you. Let's take a quick one. Let's go finish watching this game. And that's that's respectable. I literally saw – I have the picture still with him, and I know on the way out, I gave him Nux going up the stairs, and he just smiled. And I, I made sure I didn't say his name to anybody else because, you know, someone like yourself can understand too. When you are known as a hockey player somewhere, everyone's going to want to take pictures or see who you are. And even at other games, the word local couture was at a Blue Jay game, and the fans flooded him after the game, right, flooded him. And sometimes they don't want that. And like Biz is the guy, of course, that loves the spotlight. He gets attention. He's hilarious at doing it, but I'll never forget that story. So I was just curious about how he was as a teammate because if that was the same personality and just being an absolute beautician, if you will, and just kind of chirping the guys. But he was obviously a good guy in the locker room and winning the championship that year. It looked like it was a fun team overall. And believe it or not, I never brought up to Colin uh, questions about Biz and that because I'm sure he gets a lot of them. So like I like there's a that team overall that year was uh, quite impressive. I know Mike Richards had a, uh, some time down with you with that year as well. I think he was uh, kind of going through that transition in his career. So yeah. there was that. And then Adrian Kempe, I think, played a couple games with you guys, but he was just a pop at that time. I think it was like 17 or 18. So yeah, even that- he joined in, he joined in playoffs and it was pretty apparent that he was going to be a stud. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a, we had a really good group, really good group. For sure. Now, the last topic I wanted to get into before we jump into our bonus questions, which everybody knows and looks forward to about our quick one answer questions. Now, just kind of the trail uh, of your other adventures in your career. So, like, obviously, after uh, winning the the HL championship, you are involved in the Columbus organization. We've already discussed really about that. But then you get actually get put on uh, waivers and you're claimed by the Colorado Avalanche, which was coached by Patrick Waugh. And now we did talk about coaches. You know, we said how you had the trail mix of coaches with Julian, with Totorella, obviously Patrick Waugh. And Patrick Waugh, there was a team that had a lot of young studs too that you were familiar with. Like in Columbus, you had Seth Jones, Atkinson, Corpusallo. Uh, but in Colorado, you have McKinnon, Landeskog, Duchesne, veteran Jerome McKinley, who's one of my favorite players of all time too. Like you, one thing with Nathan McKinnon that I want to transition to before I even get into the waivers point is that Colin Miller, obviously who we just talked to, stated that Nathan McKinnon is the hardest person to stop in the National Hockey League. Now, uh, you obviously played in Columbus and him being in Colorado is the West and East thing, but you practiced against him. Is that a true statement from Colin that he's probably harder to stop than Crosby is? That's pretty much the term that he brought up. And secondly, you were put on waivers and claimed. What was going through your mind when you went through waivers waiting to be claimed? Yeah, uh, so a couple points there. So uh, I was uh, I was put on waivers to go back to Cleveland. Um, Columbus said that they had intended on bringing me back up, uh, but someone had just gotten healthy and they had to make room on the roster. Um, so I was on the road when this happened. Um, one second, let me get the story straight. I was on, no, sorry. I was in Columbus. I went to Cleveland and I was going to join Cleveland on the road. Uh, So I was flying by myself. So I had already checked my bags in and I think noon is the deadline for waiver claims. So my bags are in, my hockey bags on the plane. I'm going through security and my agent calls and uh, he's like, where are you? And I was like, I'm on the, at the airport. I'm heading out to join Cleveland uh, for a game. And he's like, okay, well, you've been claimed by someone. We don't know who yet, but there is a claim. So you're joining someone. So I had to rush to the uh, airport security and tell him I need my bags off this plane, like explain the situation, like I need to get my stuff. So I have my stuff. I still don't know which team's getting me. And then uh, shortly I find out that, it's Colorado. So I was 
pretty jacked about that. And the first thing I do is check their schedule and uh, see when their next game is. And I see that it's in a day. So I got to get my stuff off the plane, uh, get my stuff, whatever I need out of my apartment um, and get out to Colorado. So that was a, that was an interesting experience, but I actually skate with uh, Nathan McKinnon and Sid in, uh, in the summer. So Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I skate with them and Marshawn. We have a we have a really good group of uh, ice hockey players out east. And uh, a, yes, you do. That's a good crew. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's not uh, it's it's not a huge uh, huge population. So the few guys that are out there all skate together. So I uh, I knew Nathan from skating with them, and uh, he was a huge Mooseheads fan growing up, um, and he knew who I was and. Uh, I was able to uh, to build a relationship with him there in Colorado pretty quickly, just being a friend of his uh, from Halifax. So um, he introduced me to Tyson Berry pretty quickly, and I, I kind of rode around with those guys and uh, and uh, picked up some free dinners and free uh, basketball tickets. But uh, um, it was a really good experience, and as far as players go, I think he's just one of the – He's an absolute workhorse, so he works his ass off in the summer. But as far as uh, just natural ability, this guy's an absolute freak. Um, and when he turns it on, you see it in different highlights. It's it's there's just the next level as far as athleticism goes, um, and just pure power, um, hand eye. But he's definitely a special player, but uh, a completely different player than uh, than a Sidney Crosby. Um, so it's tough to compare those two guys, but, uh, um, when you see Nathan get a head of steam going, um, it's definitely enough to make someone poop their pants a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Alex Petrangelo did poop his pants in that outdoor rink. I don't know if you saw that clip, but yeah, uh, the old boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. He just no, it, yeah. I, I know that feeling for sure, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's him and McDavid. They're just on a different level. And, yeah. uh, just Nathan being a friend of mine, uh, and I like to uh, tip my hat to him a little bit more. But uh, as far as Nathan and Sid go, you're you're gonna be Nathan, Sid, and Brad. You're gonna be hard pressed to find uh, um, three guys that compete more. And uh, just seeing summer skates and and our little two on two or three on three little scrimmages at the end of practice, they get so heated sometimes. Um, you really see. Um, what type of player comes from someone who's naturally gifted, but also has that competitive uh, edge. It'd be interesting to see if 2022 Olympics, I know you'd totally see Bergeron there, but it'd be cool to see Marchant, McKinnon and Crosby play on a line. Uh, I feel like that'd be something funny to see if that uh, can, can come to fruition, but that Canadian team is going to be absolutely sick. So it's going to be insane. I feel bad for anyone who plays. I'm sorry, even to people in the United States or Russia, but yeah. you know, yeah, it's going to be – you play with those guys. Like, imagine those two playing – or, sorry, those three guys playing online together. <laughs> no, I do, no, I see it in the summer sometimes, and it makes hockey less fun than it should be. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, they're, they're special players for sure. They are. Now, myself and Alex, Andrew, we're going to get to the conclusion portion. We ask um, whoever joins me as a co-host on the show, we have a bonus question round, if you will, where myself and Alex ask uh, one question. Kind of puts you on the spot, but in a good way. Uh, we expect just a quick little brief answer with it, uh, and then we'll get to our wrap-up portion. So I'll go with my question first. And the reason why I go first because Brooksy's question everyone likes more than mine usually. So anyone who question after me i usually like to go first so i don't have to end the show on kind of a mech question so my question will be uh, and all your time playing today and i think you might have touched on this but you kind of touched on two different areas of it uh, if you had to pick one final shift game seven for all the marbles if it's the for your in europe for a championship stanley cup hl whatever it may be who are you picking for your d partner with everyone that you played with to play in that game seven moments and that die in that absolute take all game. Who are you choosing? <laughs> I'm gonna go Vincent Laverde because we won a championship together, and we were, uh, yeah. Quick answer, Vincent Laverde. I really, really enjoyed my time playing with him. 
Yeah, I figured that'd be your answer if it was going to be uh, McQuaidy, but I know you mentioned Laverty, so that's uh, definitely. You know what? I had, a, I had a lot of guys go through my head, but uh, I'm going to go with the guy that I actually won with. So. Oh, good point, Alex. Now this one, uh, everyone is familiar with the game. Fuck Mary Kill. You get three people. You kind of divvy them up on who's going to be who. But for today, let's let's change that up a little bit. We get your trail mix of coaches. Who are you hiring? Who are you making your assistant? And who are you firing out of Wah, Torts, and Julian? <laughs> That's putting them on the Good screen. God. <laughs> okay. Um, so a head assistant and fire? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a teaser video, I promise. Torts, <laughs> head, Julian, assistant, uh Patty Waugh, he, he owns a team, so he has to go be uh, general manager and owner. <laughs> but that it was his, is a but very it, good it was, answer. It was his, it was his choice. <laughs> oh, that's funny. See, there you go. That's why I don't choose the first one. Okay. I, oh, I, man. I'm yeah. glad you didn't go the other route. I thought you were going to go the other route first part when you started mentioning the scenario. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. No. Yeah, I'm no, not sure which. I, I don't want to sleep with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is wicked. See, that's why I go first and the co-host goes second at all times. That is oh, awesome. that's a good one. Hilarious. Now, you know what? Like I said, I won't make that the teaser, or you know, but I'm sure people will get a good little laugh out of that. Now, um, before um, I know Alex goes to say goodbye to you too, Andrew, uh, we're going to get to our conclusion here. I know we could have probably touched on a lot more things. Uh, I know we had to go back and forth on different dates. So I'm glad we got this date uh, connected and that we did this uh, recording. It's been an absolute fun time, as always and as expected so i want to say thank you uh, for taking the time and alex uh, you're up <laughs> yeah Andrew, thanks so much man this has been uh, quite the insightful interview it's always nice to see someone's perspective when uh, when they do some cool things over in north america and europe so thanks for taking the time today no worries guys glad to make it happen yeah it was it's awesome and i if you wanted to i want to give you the floor uh quickly about where anyone can kind of keep tabs on you if you want people to follow you more on instagram if you are on instagram do you have any other social media platforms or do you just have kind of instagram where people can follow you yeah i just i, I kind of have instagram and then uh i i'm a bit of a creep on twitter i'm not uh, i'm not posting much but i'm checking updates uh here and there but uh instagram i go through spurts of uh where I'm active and uh, and where I'm not, but uh, it's it's a quick, brief insight to my daily life, I guess. <laughs> like that. Now I want to say thank you again to Andrew for taking the time. Alex, my friend, uh, you know you always take the time to come on these shows, and of course our new show. So I want to say thank you to that, and of course to our listeners. I want to make sure the listeners, if you haven't yet, hit like, follow, and subscribe on all the platforms of the Game Sports Show and the Game Entertainment and Media. That's Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, Podtail, Facebook, Instagram, or website thegamesportshow.com. So many platforms you can reach us on. So if you say you can't find the Game Sports Show, just type us in even on Google, and it'll all come up for you. And again. And for the multiple times I've already said, Andrew, thank you for taking the time. Alex, again, and to you, the listeners. And I'd like to remind you to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah. <laughs>